0: All right, Revelation 22. So as we are wrapping up the book of Revelation, we are seeing God create the new heaven and the new earth. Last week, as John saw the new Jerusalem, it primarily focused on the exterior of the city, right? We saw words in terms of walls and gates, foundations and stones, And in my estimation, this was pointing to Old Testament and New Testament believers who will be in heaven as well as the eternal peace that heaven will bring. Nevertheless, this week we are going to see the interior of the new Jerusalem. What's important for us is to see that God is restoring the original plan Here in Revelation, he's restoring everything that he created in the beginning. Now, for us to understand what he is restoring, we have to understand the beginning. The Garden of Eden, where the tree of life was. Therefore, for us to appreciate the final garden, we're going to look at the first garden today. So we have to ask, what went wrong in the first garden? The garden of Eden, what went wrong? When God created the garden of Eden, it was a perfect place for Adam and Eve to dwell. When God created man, he said that it was good. When he created the heavens and the earth, he said that it was good. When he created the oceans and everything else, right? The animals, he said that they were good. And the garden of Eden was created so that Adam and Eve could thrive with him. um, Yeah, thrive with him and thrive with each other for the rest of eternity. Eden was the original plan. Eden was where God wanted you and I to actually be dwelling today. but what do we know? There was one condition, right? And the one condition was this. They must trust him in defining what was right and what was wrong. They had to trust him in defining what was good and what was evil. And you're like, yeah, there was just one thing they weren't supposed to do. Eat from this tree. But what did they do? They ate from the tree he defined it they needed to trust him from what was good and what was evil and what i've seen the church do is the church will trust god with what they believe is right and right and wrong amen don't we trust him with that we trust him with some things we don't some things we don't agree with but typically we like to define it and if god agrees with what we agree with then we will follow it anyone ever been there too Let's just talk about political candidates, right? If we talk about politics, then you really agree with it. But we need to trust him in what is right and wrong. But as good fathers do, let us know the consequences of when we don't trust him, when we don't obey him. So Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says this. The Lord... God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God's saying, hey, look, have your freedom. Live life. Just don't eat from this tree. Now, physical death is when your soul is separated from the body. So God's saying, hey, look, death's going to come. So physical death, your soul is going to be separated from the body. But there's also other kinds of deaths as well. God was telling Adam, Adam, if you don't obey me, you will die. And we know how this plays out, but let's read it. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than it. So because they disobeyed, they experienced death, and sin entered the world. Now, death is multifaceted, and we're going to get there. But did God really say, how often do we get that accusation in our life each week? Did God really say you're forgiven? Did God really say that you're free? Did God really say that you're supposed to be a whatever? Did God really say? Did God really say? Has anyone had that question this week? Did God really say? Anyone in here? I've had it. Man, the prayer of the elders is working. Praise God. You guys are covered and smothered. And it's working. No one else has had the thought this week, did God really tell me to do this? No one? All right. When the thought comes, it's possible the enemy could be tempting you. But because they disobey, disobeyed, they experienced death. And sin entered the world. And the sin is um, the death that we experience is multifaceted. And one of the ways that death was experienced since that point, and what Adam and Eve experienced, is they became internally fragmented. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, And made coverings for themselves. So after Adam and Eve sinned, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they started to feel fragmented inside. Their internal being started to feel separated. Their eyes were opened to the inner person that wasn't pure. Have any of us ever felt fragmented after we've sinned? You felt frustrated. You felt like you really messed up. See, before their eyes were opened, before they had sinned, they were comfortable being themselves. Why? Well, because there was a healthy view of themselves. Therefore, They were okay with being fully exposed. There was no evil in the world, so they were just okay with it. See, before they sinned, it was as if they were unaware of self. It was just, we're doing life. Like, we're just unaware of nature, the nature within us, right? Yet after they sinned, they saw their nakedness. It's almost as if it brought about a self centeredness and profound shame. When we sin, I think it does reveal self centeredness and it does bring about profound shame. This is why they started to hide from one another behind fig leaves. because of shame. When we sin, we too face internal conflict. There was no one to compare their bodies to. Right? It wasn't like they felt a certain way because American media or global media says this is what a body should look like. They weren't hiding their bodies because they weren't whoever, right? I'm even going go to name any names, right? Because they didn't look like this person. They were hiding their bodies because internally they felt a certain way about themselves. Have you ever been internally so frustrated that it's hard for you to even make eye contact with people? that you hardly even want to speak. Or how about this? You've been so rebellious within a certain season of life that you don't even want to go to church. Fig leaves, right? How many other, rhetorically speaking, fig leaves do we put over our lives because the shame that enters? So not only were they internally fragmented, another way that they suffered death is they lost their personal int- intimacy with God. Genesis 3.8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now, because of sin, instead of looking forward to be in his presence, instead of looking forward to walking with him in the cool of the day or the cool of the night, what are they doing? They're running from him. They're hiding from him. They are now ashamed to be around him. How many of us have sinned and feel ashamed to be around him? Probably all of us. Um, there's this internal voice inside of us that's telling us to run from a certain thing, but instead of running from it, we're running to it. So this shame comes over us. God, I've failed you. Not only did they lose their personal intimacy they became afraid of God. Genesis 3.10. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then, of course, you guys remember, who told you I was naked, right? Or who told you you were naked? See, the sin that entered into their life made them afraid of God. It caused them to be afraid of him. It caused them to walk in shame. See what was this original plan to have a good relationship, a perfect relationship with our king in this garden of Eden, where everything we need is there. He is there. there's perfect um, perfect health, perfect. Trees, perfect everything, right? Perfect relationship. That was lost. So they became afraid of God. So after they became afraid of God, what did they do? They began to accuse people. Genesis 3, 12 and 13. Then the man said, The woman you put here with me She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, uh, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So what does Adam do? He accuses the woman, and then what does the woman do? She accuses the serpent. So now all this excuse-making and accusation goes on. Just as they began to excuse and accuse, what have you and I done? Someone cuts us off, right? We're mad at them and something comes out of our mouth. What do we say? Well, if the person wouldn't have cut me off, I wouldn't have said what I said. Anyone in here ever done that? Uh huh. I mean, yes, you're a driver, right? Of course, you see the craziest things. You hit your toe, uh, or you hit your toe, stub your toe on a wall or a chair. Something comes out of your mouth, right? Or as you stub your toe, your kid walks across in front of you, and you trip again, and you stub your other toe. Now whose fault was it? Your kids. And now you're accusing your kids that they weren't drinking their milk in front of you, and they would have put down their iPad that, they weren't supposed to have, then you wouldn't be stubbing your toe. Things come out of us, and we never want to own it. So in the garden, I guess we lost ownership as well, right? There was no ownership, personal ownership, or wrongdoing that they were willing to see anymore. Shortcomings were someone else's fault. There was this idea, um, speaking with someone recently, and they were talking about um, there was a church where, of course, um, women had to be fully covered, right? So up here, they had to wear head coverings, so their dresses came up to here, long sleeves, and then ankles couldn't even be seen right. They had stockings and then their shoes, what ended up happening is um, there was some younger girls who wore, um, wore a dress and the ankles were seen. And the, uh, an older man in the church started to lust after and said and did some things he never should have said or did, right? Guess what he said the issue was? Well, if those girls were not showing their ankles, I wouldn't have sinned. Is that how sin works? If those girls weren't showing their ankles, it's not how it works. It doesn't matter what those girls were wearing. If they were wearing anything, sin is a personal, um, or our running from sin is a personal response to Him. Amen? We make that decision. So, promiscuous looking, whatever, right? We don't respond to that, we respond to him all the time. We don't have an excuse that someone else made me do something. But in the garden, that's what came about: excuses and accusing. So, um, shortcomings were other people's faults. We could go on with all that was lost in the garden. Doesn't some of this ring a bell? Living without God, feeling lost inside, and now because of the curse, we don't like our job? This happened because of bad choices, and we make it worse when we make our own mistakes. We might see this as normal, but it's not. The, the death that started in the garden affects you and I today. Yet God had a plan to fix what happened at the fall of man. And he isn't going to bring us back to that garden. He's making a new one in God's eternal kingdom. And that's what we've been seeing is this garden that fell and now God's restoring it the second time and the final time for us to dwell with him for the rest of eternity. Amen? That's what we're seeing here. So that's what was lost. And that's only some of it. There's so much more. But now, Revelation 22, we're going to see pieces of the redeemed garden. Verse 22. No, sorry, verse 1. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In this redeemed city, the river of life will be there. God promised this river to the thirsty. Throughout all of scripture, we see this theme with water and being thirsty. This is living water. And it's the ultimate source of God himself. This river comes from the throne of God and the lamb. This means that God is the only source of life and that the sacrifice, God bless you, of Jesus, the lamb, is the only means through which this life is available. We must have the living water. And the only way for us to get this living water is to be thirsty for that who can provide it, and that is Jesus and Jesus alone. You and I cannot earn our way back to the garden. You and I cannot give our way back to the garden. You and I cannot pay our way back to the garden. The only way we can make it into the new garden is by Jesus giving us new life through his death and his resurrection. Amen? The only way to make it to the new garden is by Jesus giving us new life through his death and his resurrection. But what can often go missed is this. The sins of you and I are so bad that the only way for them to be fixed was for God himself to die. Our sins, your sin, my sin, our sins were so bad that God himself had to die. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? It wasn't just go sacrifice a little hedgehog or kangaroo or lizard or lamb or dog. It was God Himself in flesh. Jesus, your sin and my sin was so bad that He had to come and die. That's a heavy price. Sin's power to separate us from God was so strong in the garden. And now now that the um, the only way that it could be defeated was if God handled it himself. And the weight of sin was so strong that on the cross, there was a moment where the Godhead was divided. And Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? this perfect unity in the Godhead from when they've always been, right? They've always been here. They will always be perfect unity. How many billions of years has it been since they decided to create us? And do they even count time in heaven? Like these things that just make you feel so small when you try to think about them. Because even in my thinking of how many billions of years has it been since they created the heaven and the earth would suggest that they had a beginning. God has always been. There was no beginning and there's no end. I can't comprehend it. And I'm okay with that. I don't expect to have all the answers because I'm not God, amen? So I'm okay with my mind just kind of freaking out and feeling small when I can't comprehend that. But there was perfect unity for the existence of the Godhead, but yet on the cross, because my sin in your sin, when Jesus died for it, there was a moment where that was shattered. Jesus had to bear that weight of being separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet because Jesus was willing to absorb the separation, God was able to defeat sin. And because he was able to defeat sin, he was able to unleash his forgiveness and healing over mankind. So Jesus, in, in the cross, in the death, in the resurrection, defeated our sin. Amen? We know this. And when you go through things in the death of Jesus again, it should be a sober reminder of his love for us, of his sacrifice for us, of the future that we have with him. Which should encourage us to live holy and pleasing lives for him. Either way, um, Jesus had to absorb this He had to absorb it so that we could walk with him so that the garden could be redeemed. And this means that since Jesus' death and resurrection, every form of death that started in the first garden will be completely restored in the new garden. Every single one. I wrote in my notes, someone give him praise. Are we this kind of church? We are kind of this kind of church, aren't we? Just kind of like kind of shy a little bit. We are. I'm kind of shy too. You're like, no, you're not. No, I am. Let me read this again. And the weight of our sin was so strong that that on the cross there was a moment where the Godhead was divided. God was divided from his son and his son was divided from him because the weight of our sin was so strong. Yet because Jesus was willing to absorb our sin, God defeated sin and unleashed his forgiveness in healing over mankind. And this means that since Jesus' death and resurrection, every form of death that started in the first garden will be completely restored. Sickness, cancer, rebellion, lust, Lies, murder, every kind of death that started in the garden will be restored to life in the new garden. And my notes say someone give him praise. Amen. Amen. There we go, Ray. Amen. We're going to keep on practicing. We're going to get the flags out for everyone next week. There's going to be one in your seat. Someone on keys. Someone on keys. We're working on that. What if we became a, a key church? How would you guys feel about that? If we're praising God, that's all that matters, right? All right. Verse two On the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. So the tree, now we're getting it. The tree of life will stand on each side of the river. This symbolizes that in the new garden, we will have access to the very life of God. Remember, this was lost in the garden. The curse that fell upon humans in the earth will be completely undone. The curse that fell on humans in the new earth will be completely undone. But not only will the curse be undone, in the new garden, there will be abundant life. The scripture says, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. So there will be an abundance of fruit to go around, and the leaves will heal the nations. In the new garden, we will be perfectly cared for and we will need nothing anymore. Everything we'll need will be there because we will yield fruit every month. So in the new garden, our separation from God will be over. Verse 4, they will see his face And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. So first, we will see his face. And all throughout scripture, people were unable to see God's face. Exodus 33, verse 20, just as an example, right? But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. But yet in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, you and I will see his face. Don't you wonder what he looks like? I mean, according to the passion, we kind of already know what Jesus looks like. According to, um, what's the other one right now? The chosen, the chosen AI has proven with their algorithm what Jesus looked like. Come on, someone laugh. (laughs) We are going to see the face of God, what he looks like. How exciting is that? But now in the new garden, we are able to see the. uh, Yeah. Now in the new garden, we are able to have a fully, completely unveiled intimacy with God. See, because of sin, because of death that we have in our life and in this world, he has to be veiled. But in the new heaven, in, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, our intimacy will not be limited. Our best experiences here on Earth will pale in comparison to what we have every moment in heaven. Isn't that exciting? We've had some powerful worship moments here in the past, right? We've had some powerful um, encouragements that have come through the pulpit, whether the past five years or past 30 years, 40 years here at the church. We've had small groups lay hands on and care for through sickness and health and encouragement here at the church. And we've felt his presence through people, through worship, through word, through the community here. And And in those experiences, you say, God, you are so good. But in heaven, our worst experience in heaven will be far greater than the best experience we've ever had here on earth. Next, we will have God's name written on our foreheads. You know what's good about that? It means we belong, we will belong to him. If you look at the bottom of the foot, if you look, you can see that, um, you'll see God's, God's name written on your foot like Andy, right? In heaven, his name will be written on our foreheads. This means we belong to him. We are full and complete members of his family. We're welcomed in, we're adopted as sons and daughters. We don't have to live in shame anymore fully unveiled. And I know some of you guys are asking the question. Um, filter, filter, just not going to go there, right? It was funny. Maybe I'll tell you later. I'm not going to say it. I'm slowly learning. <laughs> um, but we will have God's name written on our foreheads. Finally, as we wrap up today... in the new Jerusalem, in the new garden, in the new heaven, in the new earth, we will be freed from all darkness. From all darkness, we will be freed from that. One author says this, in the new Jerusalem, God is ever-present, and his glory makes, un- uh, makes un- unnecessary All other sources of light. Night will no longer exist, and people will not need lampstands or sunlight. We will see his face, and uh, he will make his face shine on us. We will reign with him forever and ever and ever. This author summarizes this. What those who follow the lamb have to look forward to is the eternal capital city of heaven. The new Jerusalem will be a place of indescribable, unimaginable beauty. From the center of it, the brilliant glory of God will shine forth through the gold and precious stones to illuminate the new heaven and the new earth. But the most glorious reality of all will be that sinful rebels will be made righteous. Enjoy intimate fellowship with God and the Lamb. Serve them and reign with them forever in sheer joy and incessant praise. Amen. Sinful rebels who were far off from God, will be made completely new. The internal frustration, maybe this, maybe some of you are not dealing with certain sins that you're challenged by today, right? Maybe, Maybe you're past certain sins, sins of your youth, right? Your physical youth or your spiritual youth. But maybe there's just other areas that you don't consider sin. Your anxiousness, your worry, your fears. Because many of us don't see those as sins, right? We just see those as problems we're having. All of our anxiousness, our fears, and our worries in heaven will be no more. All of our sins and doubts and frustrations in heaven will be no more. In the new Jerusalem, it will be literally perfect. So I leave you with that this week, that all that was lost in the first garden will be redeemed in the new garden. Let's pray. Father, we have something to look forward to. Father, I even just think of insecurities that we have in this room insecurities that i have insecurities that uh, others have in here father things that have never been spoken to others in heaven that will be no more you're redeeming it all and i thank you for that father thank you that we get to look forward to spending time with you but father i pray today that um I'm just reminded of Matthew 7. many will say to me, did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? And Jesus says, plainly I tell you, I never knew you. Father, I pray today that um, we would know you. We would spend time with you to know you. To ensure that we have that ticket to heaven, Father. The ticket to be with you. Father, that we can have that assurance Romans 8 tells us, Father, that we get to be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.